You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Morning, Joe. Morning, Pat. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I am very well, thank you. I've heard this. I went on a jog yesterday and the birdies are building their nest here in Mm. Oz in the land down under. And spring feels like it is around the corner, it, or it or is a confused system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. They could just be climate refugees from uh, from Europe or something. So yeah. it's it's really hard it's, to know at the moment, isn't it? It is. It's uh, you try and find the nice things where you can, but then you put the head back in the news, and you're like, "Oh my goodness." Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's but yeah. I mean, just focusing on the nice stuff, it it does feel like you know, kind of. Uh, Nature's kind of getting back back in the swing of things. It's kind of, you know, we've got, um yeah, it's, you know, we're kind of feeling like we're starting to get out of the depths of our winter, certainly. Yeah, it has that feel um, with a few a few extra variants right in the wave, <laughs> yeah. the spring wave. The BA4s and the BA5s, it's, yeah, it's nomenclature I never wanted to know. So it's kind of like different, you know, I don't know. Like, I wonder if there'll ever be a BA5.1-A0. Um, well, but yeah. it's obviously the sequencing and kind of all this sort of stuff. Um, but it, yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting time, isn't it? It's kind of a big experiment in individual choice, individual responsibility, kind of state control, not state control. And it's, you know, it's happening on many, many different fronts. So whether it's about, um, you know, what we're going to do about, um, even foot, things like foot and mouth and kind of, you know, what, what they decide to do with borders, et cetera, around that. So mm-hmm. it's a, it really feels like a, a complete change of track around and what I suppose social behavior has been, as you say, big experiment and what mm. that means for a democracy, what it means for a populace, how everyone sits with that and then how it all sits um, like in a micro when you're in like family settings or you're in group settings, what that looks like, how individuals act in there and mm. well, how things are playing out because there's just this layer of, I don't know, <laughs> it's the slime that exists on yeah, the top. it's very and strange. And everyone interacts yeah. with it differently. It's a very strange kind of... Um yeah, so there's there's multiple kind of facets to that, and it probably you know we can use it as a bit of a lead into the discussion yeah. today, like in terms of layers. So, if you kind of look from a policy layer, really, what you know, there's there's advice around kind of health, which is that let's you know we should be doing more on this, but then there's government going, we are not going to try to control this anymore the way that we did during the pandemic. The pandemic is over, even though kind of you know caseloads etc. have never been never been higher in terms of people getting sick, which is so you can look at it through that and then you can look at individual businesses and it's kind of like well how do you actually navigate those decisions we've here in australia seen some of our largest businesses say hey everyone just work from home we've seen others go you can't do that because we've kind of got responsibility inside our community we're just getting people back together so there's been you know kind of people make different choices around that but um you know it's it's interesting that way and then you've got kind of in community and kind of in individual groups where life goes on but yet it it doesn't so you know it's kind of like the price of it feels like the price of kind of like 
playing footy with your mates these days or kind of, you know, participating in those types of things is that it's quite likely one of you is going to end up with COVID, right, coming coming out of that. And then it's like, you know, the kind of the re-rostering of the, of the footy club is not because, you know, someone's done their hammy or kind of, you know, done their PCL or kind of dislocated their shoulder. It's that they've gotten sick. And so there's, there's kind of all these weird little layers that are going on. And then, you know, it does feel like every gathering you go to is a bit of... Um, I don't know, roulette. Yeah, kind roll, of, the yeah, roll the dice. But the dice are loaded. Yeah. Yeah, it feels that way. <laughs> it's uh, it's true that layering how it how it all plays out at those different levels is is nuanced, but it is just has change in and amongst it and how sure people are responding to that. And mm-hmm. then there's opportunity. Say, City of Melbourne, a real chance for it to reimagine itself and what it is. Hearing a, an interesting piece on what that is. It's very quiet Monday to Friday. Hmm. Can't get a table nine till twelve or whatever that time that yeah. people without young kids get out these days. <laughs> <laughs> whatever time they go out, I don't know. Um, chances are I'm in bed. <laughs> yeah. So that time it's busy. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's a whole a whole different you know, there's opportunities that come with all of this, but there's also a lot of hard change. But um Without getting carried away in there, it's leading into today is how do sort of businesses and mm. individuals, I suppose businesses interact in an organ, interact in a ecosystem. So it's like leading in for the last conversations. How does that new business model work within a ecosystem to create that value and also push the needle of change around a certain topic or help? push that so whether it's around sustainability or something in the community that they feel strongly about and sort of centering themselves to a degree around that to yeah. push forward yeah yeah that's sort of finding this space in i suppose that's an interesting point saying that i feel like the new business model is really finding your value add not only to a service or product but mm-hmm. also how do you push that piece that the ecosystem is sort of working towards where is your place in that and how do you fit in i think that's the key yeah absolutely and so much of it is if you you know i try to think my way through these things like an ecosystem so if you imagine there's um any ecosystem has interdependency um that's you know if you define an ecosystem what it is is that it's it's a system that is self-sustaining and relies on one another to to thrive so Mm. if you take out one part of that whether that's you pull the wolf out of the kind of the the canadian kind of forest the whole forest starts to go to pieces over over time because other kind of um, animals become dominant eat all the plants etc and that's that's I think the way to think about these things is that when you look at from a business perspective, what it does is that kind of you do still have kind of apex kind of animals or kind of large organizations in these things. But then the thing that they've got to really focus on is their codependency with with others. And what we don't see a lot of is what you would like we see more and more vertical integration, but that's a very kind of technology kind of thing to to look at less so in kind of other areas of the economy where people are going okay well how do we actually kind of all add value along along this chain and it's and it's kind of like what it used to be like where if you were in a small community you would have the person who you know bashed the iron together then you'd have the person who made the the horseshoes then you'd have the person who kind of made the bucket to feed the horse etc but you were all contained within inside a within inside a space Mm, it's so true we were at a conference on wednesday and it was like data ms center for automated decision making and Hmm. um seeing this real mix of sort of social enterprise 
looking how to add value like that's very much an ecosystem but it's very much tech old and new sort of figuring out how to mash together there's some there's some um, worry very much that sort of automation is going to steal jobs steal industry away from people of the stalwarts who have pushed the needle so long for so far yeah and there's there's tension there to erase um, <clears throat> i suppose and to work through but then working and understanding sort of the ecosystem that's coming on the new tech stack and that's very much open source and building on each other's work so that you speed up the pipeline of innovation and off the back of our conversation around that ideation everyone's learning together so if you are pushing towards something and and pushing to change a certain area or or a topic Mm. if you're all learning together that's the best way to do it yeah and there was one (coughs) sentiment that came out the end and a lot of the tech that's come out of there or out of this little spot is around how to build sort of data modeling that works within a system so it can just play within that system so it can just value add exactly onto existing layers say for um disasters here in the floods that was a a direct technology to how to better inform emergency response personnel when it's flooding but they use the same system so not building another app sort of working away from <laughs> exactly yeah everyone getting used to a new dashboard it's not that way yeah and I, and I think that what we're really starting to see is kind of that you know to keep going with the ecosystem thing is that it's really about diver- um, kind of diversity is resilience so mm. if you have kind of one data flow but then you have many different people who can work within that well that is that has much more diversity in it and it's less kind of dependent on kind of one kind of um, organization or entity to be able to actually kind of hold the point of truth or kind of be the gatekeeper and I think that's what's interesting about open source becoming the way that um, technology is actually built because it's it's really being done on purpose is actually going okay well if everyone can plug into this thing therefore the system itself is actually going to be stronger and more resilient 100% it's exactly it and reading a really good article this week (laughs) around what open source meant for social media and so the algorithms that exist that really really um in my world change the way that we think interact like they're probably the biggest players around that and this was an ex instagram head fellow who was really behind like ramping up that algorithmic sort of process and how you get different feeds for different people who gets pushed what his argument was like, how do you, because he understands the business side of things for something like a big giant like Facebook, Instagram, Meta, mm-hmm. um, and how do you protect IP, but how do you allow and make it open source enough for everyone to understand why certain content's being pushed to certain people, what that looks like, and how can you have sort of a public discourse around a company that has so much impact on the way that society is sort of interacting with one another. And I thought it was a really interesting way to sort of navigate this open source social media because it allowed, he sort of created a framework to allow it not to open source where they're stressing their heads off around IP, mm. but open source enough so that public discourse can actually get a bit better informed. Yep. And that's off the back that now we're seeing um, Mark, he's about to get grilled yet again, yeah, um, which is yeah. needed. But um, just around... It just leaves room. I think there's going to be some interesting movements around what social media looks like with this open source stack. Yeah, I, and I think in in that, like the key thing is is about that the, the two words. So it's kind of it's how open, and then kind of that there is a there is a source or a kind of a piece of kind of um, 
code or a way to kind of program and you know a lot of what if you think we're really only entering the kind of the technology era yeah in that there is this whole other world that is basically it's it's self-fulfilling so your ability to interact with that as a as a system and be able to as, as anyone to be able to go okay i want x and be able to change that quite simply is what we're starting to see and i think then <clears throat> when that plays out into things like flood relief mm. or kind of, you know, be, being more predictive around kind of, you know, heat waves, et cetera, and being able to kind of understand and communicate. Those are things that, you know, you start to go, okay, well, if it's all open source and people can see um, the data. So like, I mean, kind of um, weather data or kind of uh, meteorological data, really the breakthroughs and why we can be much more precise in things like that is because the models are actually becoming so good. Well, so it's got terms, AI in the model. That's exactly. what's getting wild. And it can and, learn. And they're getting smarter. <clears throat> Very Each smart. iteration. For sure. But they're asking the different... I think the thing to hold on to is they're actually asking, rather than being closed, and this is kind of the breakthroughs you're starting to see in things like AI, mm. rather than being closed and going, okay, well, these are the parameters. What they're actually doing is starting to kind of be much more open in the way that they're actually setting those questions and kind of the the broad kind of, you know, if you're um, building kind of like an AI learning machine, mm. the amount of kind of parameters you might put into that is, you know, we're talking in the 200 oh. millions of kind of like little kind of parameters that sit around this thing to kind of um, help it go. But what they're seeing by kind of being a little bit loose is that they're actually the the AI is able to make the connection between between things um, in a way that you know you probably wouldn't get to um, necessarily and I think that's really what's interesting is then if you apply that the lens of kind of this ecosystem across the top of that imagine a world where we start to go okay well here's our climate model here's what's actually happening and everyone can actually kind of see what's actually going going through and you see that everywhere even in small kind of community groups you know for example you know here around where we live kind of trying to get one of our communities to um, basically be carbon positive i.e kind of generating its own energy and um, being able to kind of actually supply one another and be completely off grid the way that that's being done is exactly this is that everyone can create a way that they can all share their information about how much stuff they're pulling off their wind off their roof whatever they're doing to be able to actually then go okay well that needs to go here mm. which is really clever that that <clears throat> example here in terms of community being able to value add and yeah. then it builds into actually building a stronger sense of community and then it builds into that sharing which helps strengthen sort of the resilience of the community yeah. championing the the champions who are pushing the envelope further and then learning from them and everyone being able to incorporate that and sort of healthy competition around that. I think that's what you're yeah, touching sure. on, which is so clever around that shared learning and then a shared sense of place comes from that, which is a beautiful a beautiful apparatus to work in. But Absolutely. I think the, the, the challenging thing now is, and that's something mm. that picked up in the conversation, was that old and the new and the blend. Mm. Um, and someone on the panel discussed, said it really well, which was like, why compete when you can collaborate? Which is... Yep. Which is exactly where the ecosystem is heading in that sort of mindset. But it is hard when everyone is a bit scared of the computers or the robots taking <laughs> yeah. their job, which is... <clears throat> it's true. It's a, it's, a valid, it's a valid point to be able to explore further. And I think the, the inevitable, say for social or non-for-profits, for them is to understand that it's, it's like change is coming and how does that look like rather than hide from it. How does that look and where is the human's place in this and like reevaluating how to better inform systems? Because at the end of the day, 
everyone's working towards pushing the needle forward. And so mm. with that mindset, how do you do that best and what yeah. does that look and i think like? you can you know like i mean at a really kind of like you know super helicopter kind of like off of the earth view of all of this really what's happening is that technology is becoming the de facto way that our world is organized so it's kind of moving i would say more from a physical geography kind of um geopolitical way that you're actually organized to being much more there's this technology organization layer now that's starting to come through and that's becoming the dominant system but i think then it's about the ethos that's actually in that system you can draw the parallel to where you started kind of between that you know kind of um autocracy versus democracy Mm. and even what you're starting to see in technology is exactly that you've got kind of one stream of kind of technology thinking which is kind of the the monopolistic kind of you know competition like all everyone agrees competition's stupid but they kind of look at it and they go well we just want to get to dominance i.e we want to get to monopoly and scale so that's that's one way you can get rid of competition the other way you can actually do it is through kind of cooperation with one another being small being nimble Mm. and for me that's interesting that you're starting to see what you see in every other sphere of life which is that there's kind of these slightly competing philosophies but really the question to ask yourself is kind of like what's actually organized behind it all because even if you lay it on human society we're all organized now into governments it's just the type of government that we actually work within like it's not like there's just you know there's i mean i can't think of a place that doesn't have government you know in terms of kind of the way that you would put it but also i can't think anymore of a place that doesn't have technology and a way of actually using using this in the sense of kind of digital technology um and that's what we're starting starting to see so when you look at existing systems and legacy systems like social caring or healthcare, then <clears throat> what happens when kind of the the data actually can help kind of connect people and becomes the de facto way to organize it do you still need health authorities or do you actually kind of need kind of um, a data set that everyone can actually see with individual experts and you might probably have both systems but i think that's what we're living through at the moment is this kind of rupture between between those two things yeah and i think you say that really well around just that system getting a good shake and and what that looks like and it's obviously going to shake fear change always shakes different and it rightfully so like the that point that fork in the road that feels like is defining this sort of generation people call it unprecedented but it is just where we are Hmm. it is very much that as you say it can go two ways and they can go two ways in a lot of ways and you can build it right or you can build it wrong (laughs) yeah in terms of these legacy um, or depending on your viewpoint of what's right and what's wrong right i think but when it comes to a care perspective yes you're right i think there is a right and a wrong around there like i Hmm. think that's where people have to be really careful when these new technologies come Mm. and that is the dangerous thing sometimes with um i think general digital literacy and digital like we've seen it with round two with hate to point names but the big players who are in who are in um and dominate the web right now like there's a few that hit there but you see it in um yeah like just to jump in like i think the thing is interesting like agriculture right so if you look at i call this the john deere paradox that you're starting to kind of allude to which is that if you're a farmer now you if you bought john deere stuff your entire farm like you've 
been able to enhance your productivity. You've been able to kind of farm this land in, in ways you never thought possible. It's kind of optimized within an inch of itself. Your whole land is mapped. Everything's precise. You've got contours. You know exactly when to water, when to seed, when to um, put fertilizer, potash, etc. on the top. You don't own the data. So it's all gone up <clears throat> into the cloud. And who owns the data? And this is the question you're getting to. And it's the same, I think, where you're heading in healthcare. That's the question. So if that goes to a company, that is a massive problem. And it's a huge problem in the States, for example, with John Deere, is that people cannot even fix. You can't touch the thing. Hmm. You have no right. You've bought the equipment. You have no right to do one little thing to tweak it. And so that's where I feel like we're at with a lot of different industry right now. But then laid on top of that, we have this new business model. We have this new understanding of how society works. And that's where I think this fork in the road is such an important one to understand that it's Mm. so incredibly important what that means. And then that comes with a huge educational component around what these decisions actually mean. Not only for today, not only for tomorrow, but tomorrow's tomorrow and so forth it is a real it's a real road that's hard to find another fork once you start walking that tread yeah you're so right yeah so that that piece is really tricky but it gives me solace that i suppose that we are in this tectonic place where things are changing and people are really thinking deeply about decisions and thinking deeply about systems because Digital's never more affected people's lives. Everyone's scanning in, doing all sorts of weird uploads and sort of, you know, you're forced to push yourself forward into these clunky systems. And Mm. this is where government, to their credit, have to really check their boxes and cross their T's when it comes to their data, whereas private entity, not so much. No. And we see that play out in Australia at the moment. Facial facial recognition's huge. If government did that in Australia... I think that heads would roll, but mm. here it's very different. Yep. Sort of private can operate in a very different yeah, way, using it and to, capture data so differently, and using it to kind of you know prevent theft. Right? Yeah, so, we'll <clears> say <throat> that is to prevent theft, but then yeah. in another way, that data can then be used to optimize. Exactly, and that's I think that's the thing about kind of um, follow the d- the data is kind of I think the point that we're both making is that really the way to look through this is kind of like where does the data end up? Is yeah. the is ultimately the question around kind of in an ecosystem between one that's probably less healthy and one that's more healthy in terms of kind of for the for the long term again depending on your viewpoint right you might be kind of um more in the sense of like yeah i want everyone's faces because i want to sell them more sausages or i want to sell them more hammers like that might be the way that you think about it yeah or the other way to think about it is that this data kind of is the actual value that that sits there and like coming back to my kind of community example that's what's interesting about the solar off everyone's roof and kind of realizing that you know the the issue that is going to be present here in victoria continually is that like during this time of year like unless you know someone's you know everyone's willing <laughs> yeah it's going to be a problem to to make that happen Mr. but Burns, if, are you out and <laughs> listening does anyone have the floating solar balloon up above this continual cloud no oh oh, oh dear but the, there's there has to be ways around that but the data shows that mm-hmm. because in the grouping of the kind of totality everyone can see like oh wow summer absolutely no issue we could sell this stuff everywhere but we have no way to kind of deal with it and then from a community thing it's about that resilience piece about that piece of community infrastructure mm-hmm. that needs to be put in place probably for that community is just a simple wind turbine mm-hmm. that kind of you know during that time of year it just does the one thing so it's turned on a couple couple months a year and those are the things that the data points you towards. But if that data was in another sense, if that sat with an energy company... Because the question's so clear there. 
But it's I how do we get off grid? How do we become self sustaining? It's just yeah. like bang. Yeah. Whereas when it comes to pure commerce, yeah. how do we sell X amount of sausages yeah. to every single person who walks in the door? Yeah. But that question is just as clear. That question's just as clear, but the yeah. answer is very one to many. Like the answer is mm. I have shop. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. know, I have rails, whereas the other place is like the, the, it's yeah. built versus yeah. it needs to be built. I think well, it's spot on, and and that's the I think that's so much of the of the thing then. But if you think about that all the way through, is like if that data is open source, mm. coming back to where you started, and kind of the community is in control of that versus a business controlling that data, it's just a very very different. Um, yeah, like kind of you know the you put it as a question, but I think it's the problem statement or the job to be done yeah. is completely different. So if you are a large organization and you want to kind of get your um, get your fleet kind of off grid that's not that it's exactly the same question but kind of in the data monitoring it's quite unlikely that you're putting that up or perhaps you may consider kind of and this is where i think it gets interesting what if you are you know it's a little bit of a bigger community right and kind of like what if it's a city mm. and everyone actually wants to help get that entire area off grid so how do you participate in that with your data coming off your roof. And this is where it gets interesting, I think. But the data itself, there's no issue about the data flowing, mm. right? It's actually about your viewpoint on whether you want it to flow. It's true. And I think that's the decision that I think underpins a lot of these moments is understanding the data. We've had this, this is a common theme throughout oh, our conversations yeah. is um, knowing that data is sort of attached to your body and what that means and the implications for that and having those decisions. And then creating a commonwealth with that data and allowing access to it if it's been signed up. Yeah. But in terms of creating a new, all right, um, should we try and wrap it with a thought experiment around um, creating a new business model in an ecosystem? Yeah. And then creating a new business in an existing I don't know. What do you call it? Oh, like if it isn't like a, a, legacy a, a legacy system that's very one-dimensional, very w big player. Hmm. How do you? How does it? Is it more an incumbent ecosystem comes in there versus it's like a farmer's co? Or is it? <laughs> well, I think it's. I think it's what you've you've said is kind of like there's like there's incumbency in terms of that they've already built the infrastructure and there's kind of there's a way of doing things that is successful. Mm. Um, so you see this in lots of different things. So for example, the railroads, you know, yeah. before the kind of the the adoption of highways is kind of what you would say is like creative destruction, mm. where something superior comes along and kind of um, takes takes it out i think the thing that's different in what you're talking about is that the the way to probably work through it is to think about data as basically if this was an ecosystem mm. data is the dna mm. so it's kind of the way that i would pose that back is thinking about well what's the mutation right what's the mutation in this dna that's kind of actually going to create new new value or a perspective on kind of using this slightly slightly differently well, it would be, let's see. So we can find a new, a new niche. Yeah. A new niche. That's the thing I'm well, trying like, to say. Yeah. It would be, yeah, it would be a new niche, but it would be like an ecosystem approach. So let's take the supermarket see for an example. Yeah. All right. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it would be very much like at the current landscape would be how to go directly to farmers, but have a central space. So mm. consumer goes directly. So that's a lot of what the, the play is, the rub, the get rid of the friction is get rid of the middle mm. people, which is argument is if we have access to data or direct access to um, farmers all around the country, mm. 
all around the world, which yep. these big supermarkets, that's the value that they provide, that they can buy in mass, and lower the cost and distribute very, yep. very well. And mm. there's no argument that they don't do that very, very well. Yep. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, for sure. So then the argument is, how do you do that with without a central system? Or how does a central system do that without capturing all the value do you know yeah yeah. it was hard exactly (laughs) so it's hard so that's but that might be the best system that we have exactly yeah so it's tricky so then it isn't an ecosystem so to speak or whether they have to reinvent themselves and reposition themselves as an ecosystem so people feel more comfortable (laughs) (laughs) but couldn't you couldn't you look at it the other way like and say that kind of like our our food kind of infrastructure around around the world so if you if you think through what's going on at the moment so the real issue we face is what we're talking about is that it's so grain so mm. so grain it's actually the the true issue we face with grain is that we only grow two types of it broadly mm. yeah. and <clears throat> those two types are can only grow in certain certain kind of instances so you could um you know taking a page out of your granddad's book be kind of completely kind of um, glass full yeah. and be like okay well what's going on in ukraine it's terrible but it's going to trigger this thing about okay well how do we actually grow food stability food stability and how do we actually kind of take that on so when you kind of think about food, like the distribution system arguably isn't the biggest part of the problem in that ecosystem where we need new niches and diversity is much more kind of upstream kind of at at the farm. So these kind of monocropping models that, you know, like my John Deere example is a really good one of that. That's that's all built to optimize five broad cereal crops that are grown in, in the prairies of kind of um, Canada and North America. And it's it's a problem, mm-hmm. right? It's a real problem because one of those things gets a bit sick, as we've seen here. Like, um, foot and mouth is a great example of that, mm-hmm. you know, in a livestock sense. But that's a true disease that affects the animal. The it doesn't really affect. It can be passed on quickly, so that's why we kind of get rid of it. But if you think about things like kind of banana flies and kind of stuff that you start to see that are huge problems, they're not a problem if you have diversity that's- of that type of stuff. And that's where I think it starts to go. Is that so? To me, we've spent so much time trying to figure out a better way to get a box from the farmer's gate to my doorstep, whereas really the real innovation needs to be much more upstream. And localized. And localized. Yeah. Well, then you're hitting an interesting point there, and that Mm -hmm. is that changing, I suppose, that model on being a bit more local rather than global in our consumption of food. Yeah. And what that looks like and how to be more food secure. Yeah, and we have such a great... Like it's Which incredible. changes, that have changed changes. the dynamic very much. So, doesn't your it, though, pasta like, would look different. Your pasta would look different, but <laughs> would it? That's that's the thing. So, like, kind of, I like, would your pasta... This is, you know, just, again, thought experiment. Yeah. Um, don't hold me to this. I don't think it would. But then the food... It should. But it probably wouldn't. Yeah. Like, I think you could make it so that it wasn't. Yeah. So, like, kind but of... But who makes... Does the pasta... Is the pasta localized? Or is the pasta processor getting... See, I don't think that's the issue. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the issue is where, like, you can you can make pasta broadly anywhere. So, I think... But they're getting it from all different people. Maybe. Yeah. But I, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say bogged is... Getting down that, in the detail. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. We'll be starting a pasta business tomorrow. Um, the, <laughs> I don't know. Is that what you plan on doing? <laughs> but the, I love pasta. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's good the um <laughs> bueno um so the the thing that kind of comes from that type of thinking though is that we often look at the wrong part of it and that's that's kind of what i'm i'm thinking about what's happening here yeah which is 
that the kind of how we make it what we make and kind of the the food types we eat and kind of how we distribute that food in terms of kind of the last mile piece i don't really think it's the issue right and kind of that will get solved anyway but then if you think about kind of what's going on in the world kind of the actual supply of food yeah. and kind of where you can make food and having food resilience becomes something that is to me is much more interesting to think about and what are large um, agribusinesses, we've never been more productive in terms of our way to grow grow food, but we've also never been so mono Vulnerable. and so risk so that your risk profile does that because the height of kind of, you Just know, for something, people one thing listening at home, Joe's going up. It's a yeah. graph that's going up. Going up and up <laughs> yeah, and up. Yeah. Yes, I am. I didn't so it's getting riskier and riskier. Yeah, it's getting riskier and riskier as I go up. But what happens then? So if you can kind of take that all the way through. So yes, we're highly productive, but highly leveraged systems, yeah. as we've seen with the supply chains through things like COVID. Yeah. Once they fall, they fall really, really quick. And I think that's what the data actually shows you. And so like you can draw a broad parallel to what's going on now in kind of like the food crisis that mm. we're actually going to live through. I think we're going to start to come up with different solutions we have to. to that. Yeah. But I think that's what the data tells you whereas before we could sit and you know endlessly argue i could be like i'm all for grain and you could be like i'm all for different types of um, carbohydrate and we could sit here and bat and forth it all day but now the data clearly shows you that okay this is the most optimized way we can run it but we probably need to do this and this and this and this in these areas as well yeah so then taking it for this example around (laughs) that ecosystem approach it's more looking at say from a regional point of view of being very good at producing Mm. is how do we produce for the is is the question then more not how do we produce for the world and extract its most value from this land but how do we produce for this region and how do we provide food security and how is that supported and how does the community support us back in doing that that's probably the question that needs to change versus how do we extract the most value which then leaves the land degraded, which then raises the risk profile, which then invites John Deere in to then automate and exactly. augment yep. your life, essentially. But can you have both? And that's that's the and or question. I don't know if you can have your cake yeah. and eat it. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, unless it's made out of these magical pasta things that we're creating. Oh, it, could be, it could be better flour. Yeah. Stay that, tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> I think that you reckon in can you can have your cake I do. and eat it, I, but and I then think, serve some as well. And serve some. <laughs> I, I think that what is interesting but about this wise isn't that that argument? You reckon there's a different way to? I think there's a different way that that kind of like if you like so because we're getting so good at kind of actually being able to see and actually we can create ultimately like the diversity i think the question that like again that kind of like the technology we now have Mm. through things like crispr and stuff where you don't have to kind of um take an agricultural model and grow all of this stuff kind of you know in fields based off of kind of things that we inherited from the world we can actually make these things i'm not saying i'm a fan of that but we can make these things now which could be quite you know sequence to deal with a very specific area we do that already Mm. but we've only done it through one kind of typology whereas the real opportunity i think is to kind of have both so you have large-scale big food but you also have redundancy and resiliency built into the to the system so that you're able to switch out kind of stuff as a carbon credit for food yeah yeah, yeah, but a system that works. So that's some, <laughs> some dodgy offset thing where I buy two trees up in whoop de whoop. Cut down a and, million others. Yeah, yeah. And offset my travel with Qantas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, we're getting somewhere there. I feel like that's made a bit more sense in terms of 
how to tackle legacy, how that may look like and, uh-huh. and sort of incorporating technology to solve a problem that we've sort of just kept going down and that's yeah. had us to a very high risk profile with a very monoculture, mm. which has left us very susceptible to yeah. to problems down the and track. And we're entering, you know... Um, and then the, the, and then the argument technology. is that the fills that holds that ecosystem is how to... Like the, the problem statement is how to make us food resilient, food, um, yep. food safe, essentially. Food safe. Yeah. Yeah, so just don't touch prawns and then heal with your grave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As anyone knows. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I think that, that changes it, I suppose. Everyone working towards solving something. And then we come back to the very start of this conversation is the different layers. And we spoke about this on COVID, but this is tying it all back. And that yeah. is actually around pro- problem solving within ecosystem existence and finding your space in there and how to create value. Mm. And that's sort of where we're... Got no more space. <laughs> we just ran out of video. <laughs> we've been going a while. But yeah, that's a great, like, I think we just, I think the landing that you're talking about is exactly right. So kind of coming through these problem statements as you're posing, that's the thing. So how do we become more food safe, food secure? There's probably four different answers to that. But then the commonality that goes all the way through them is the ecosystem that organizes it is the data that shares that. Mm. So the system is only as good now as kind of the ability for that data to flow or that information to flow as easily as it possibly can through the system. So let's just say you do start your pasta company and let's say that I kind of, you know, sit off the side and I start to grow my little kind of um, new mutated variant over here. We could be on. Could be, um, yeah, we'll talk about that off, off, <laughs> off pod. Thank you for writing all the IP. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, uh, but in doing that, so that it's really the ability to match those two things and data does that. And mm. that's that's the part that I'm really excited about as we enter this era that we have huge problems that we, we actually have, have to overcome and we might not... <clears throat> We might not bridge the gap. Often civilizations get to a point where they we're at kind of that inflection point, and I think everyone knows that where we're either going to get across the canyon or we're not, and it's it's one or the other, and that's what is interesting about being alive at this point in time. Yeah, bang on, and I think I'm really getting a strong image there is that data, that Commonwealth, that sort of innovation ideation pipeline, and and opening that up to all different types of minds being able to interact with that and help problem solve because that's sort of where we get it. That's our best bet at it's being able to bet. jump that canyon. Yeah, it's it. not big bets. It's many. The big bet is that... Many um, little bets are going to get us there. And, yeah, and the thing that we have all in common now is kind of like it's our ability to share across... Like the tyranny of distance is gone and the the information architecture, I think, is kind of like to me, that's what... When you talk about open source, I think a lot, you got to think about where that came from. Yeah, That's come from people inside these places going, hold on, we've got to ensure that everyone can do stuff. But if you think back to the origins of the internet, mm. it was that. It was, exactly it was creating that. a protocol so everyone could share information. Yeah, for the betterment of mm. sharing information because it was quite gestalt or it was held in very tight places <laughs> and explained in very tight ways. Yeah, you had to go to the library. Yeah, mm. and a lot of people didn't have the brains trust to do that or the access to <laughs> or the, the library, access. to be honest. So Exactly. Yeah, I think it's landed. I've gotten something out of this. Me too. So thanks, yeah. Joe. No, me too, me too. And I think it's, yeah, like it's just... I think it's the important image to hold in your head is like I think about these kind of like these rivers of information that are kind of going going yeah. everywhere at the moment and then really it's the 
who's going to do something about what those are the things that are starting to become interesting but you know if you took a short short term view of the moment you'd be like we're finished right if you open that up for kind of a 20 year window <coughs> we're at the start of something and, and we're, we're making something. progress yeah i think that's so true and we're like at the start of something very exciting and and holding that holding that true and being able to drive it forward is is a place for the future for our pasta business i think <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll leave it there <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Pat. Thank you for listening to BAU Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.